0: Tonight is the last night of the series we've been doing on Song of Songs or Song of Solomon as it's otherwise known. If you've not been tracking with us, uh, it's a little book that we find somewhere in the middle of the Old Testament, uh, only eight chapters long, and it's a book of romantic poetry. And it works on two levels as a book. So in one sense, it's a really kind of earthy book. It's a man and a woman expressing how they feel for one another by different poems, different songs. It goes back and forth between them. But it's also a book that's meant to point beyond itself and is meant to be read uh, with a spiritual reading, with a way of seeing something of the love that Jesus has for us, his people, and the love he invites us to have for him. And we're meant to see that and the poems are meant to elevate us beyond just the earthy human reading into something of the spiritual reality and what we've done over the last three weeks is looked at some of the big themes that emerge from the song. We've talked about desire and longing for God. We've talked about how we see ourselves and how Jesus sees us. We've talked about what happens in those moments when his presence isn't so clearly felt, when it seems like he's far away. Tonight's going to be a little bit different. We're not going to look at a big theme from the book. We're going to look at a little phrase, just a few words long. That happens a couple of times in the book. But when I was preparing for this, when I was reading through the song, every time I read it, this little phrase jumped out at me. And I just couldn't shake it off. There was something in it. I, I, I felt like God wanted to do something through these words. and So what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to show you this phrase in the song. And then we're just going to bounce off from it in a number of different ways directions. It might not be a kind of A, then B, then C kind of progression through. It's more like a a reflection, a meditation perhaps on these words, which I realise isn't the way we usually come at a preach, but I I just think God's got something for us in it and this seemed the best way to do it. So is that all right if we do that? If you say no, it's going to be awkward because I don't have anything else prepared. So that is what we're going to do. And the phrase is this, let me hear your voice. Let me hear your voice. That's what this evening's going to be. So let me show you in the song, let me hear your voice. We'll read both of the passages where words to this effect come up. The first one is in chapter two. I'm just going to um, kind of go in reverse a little bit and run up to it with some context. So uh, I'll, I'll read from verse eight, but the phrase itself will be in verse 14. So it starts with her speaking and uh, she's getting excited uh, because uh, her groom is on the way and she says, The voice of my beloved. Look, he comes, leaping upon the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing in at the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, And then this is him speaking now Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. For now the winter is past. The rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth its figs, and the vines are in blossom, they give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the covert of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet, and your face is lovely. He says, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet. Then we flip to chapter 8. This is the other time we see it. We're right at the very, very end of the Song of Songs now. The last words to each other. So this is his last words to her in verse 13. He says, oh, you who dwell in the gardens, my companions are listening for your voice. Let me hear it. And then the very last word in the song it goes to her. And she says, make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag upon the mountains of spices. Let's think about it. Let's just um, ponder these words. Throughout the Song of Songs, what we've seen over the last few weeks is dialogue, not monologue. It's two people talking to each other, not just one person talking for both of them. They're speaking, and they're listening. They're hearing, and they're being heard. That's what we see. We were recently uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, we, we had the staff team together, and we were talking about sometimes. I don't know if you ever have these those uh, relationships, and kind of whatever kind of relationship it is, where it's all one way, where you hang out with someone, uh, and they love to talk, and they love to tell you all about themselves and what they're doing and what they're feeling and what their opinion is on this, that, and the other. And you get to the end of the time, and you think, wow. They never asked me anything about me. They never asked me any questions. They didn't seem interested in hearing my voice. They just wanted to, to say things. I'm sure we've all uh, encountered those kind of moments from time to time. That's not what we've got in the song. They're both listening and responding to one another. And by, by these verses that we've seen, that's not just like happenstance of the genre of writing. This is because the heart is to hear the voice of the other the heart of the the groom here is to hear the voice of the bride he wants to hear it he enjoys hearing it he says that her voice is sweet and the fact that that's his last words in the song that's quite powerful isn't it like of all the requests that he could leave with of all the desires that he could build up to you know this song it's not like held back it's not been shy in some of the stuff it's been alluding to but for him to land here I want to hear your voice. That's a beautiful thing. And remember, this is a spiritual book. This is Christ speaking to the church. This is Jesus' heart for us. Did you know that Jesus wants to hear your voice? Do you know Jesus loves to hear your voice? It, It delights his heart to hear your voice. Doesn't that change the way you think about prayer? Does it change the way when you ponder worship, how that lands with you? Because those things, they're not just about like, well, I need to say the right things. I need to blurt out the right content. I need to make sure I've gone down the checklist. It's not about that. He loves you. He loves to hear your voice. Why? Because your voice is an expression of your heart. It's putting into the public sphere what's going on in the inside. And he loves to hear that. One of the things I love in the Gospels is how Jesus has this way of drawing out the voice of whoever he's interacting with, particularly the voiceless, particularly the people in the society and culture had no voice, had no place to speak. And he's living out these words, let me hear your voice, as he creates spaces where people feel safe, feel welcome, feel able To speak. I'll give you a few examples. Think about in John chapter 4, where there's the woman at the well. Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman by a well. The middle of the day, most of the women of the town would have gone earlier in the morning. She's on her own in the middle of the day. And there are various reasons why you wouldn't expect Jesus to talk to her. Um, in chapter 9, she articulates one of them. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Based on kind of racial lines, Jews and Samaritans, they wouldn't be expected to talk to one another. The Samaritans were, were shunned, they were silenced by the Jewish people of the day and then in verse 27 the disciples came along and they were astonished she was speaking with a woman that was another taboo of the day for a man to speak with a woman that's a second reason she'd be silenced as we read the story we we see she had five failed marriages and that meant she was ostracized by the people of her own town in all sorts of ways she was pushed down and her voice wasn't given a hearing Until Jesus comes along and he strikes up a conversation, he hears her heart, he hears her story, he asks her questions, he draws her out. Let me hear your voice. I think about the man with leprosy who encountered Jesus. Now, he was so silenced that he had to go and live outside the town and nobody would go near where he lived. And he had to, if he was walking around, ring a bell, shouting unclean, unclean, so everybody could know not to be near him, except Jesus. Who, when the man comes up to Jesus, he, he stays put and he has a conversation. He hears what this man desires. He hears his voice that no one else would hear. Um, think about Matthew 19. Some kids were coming to Jesus and the disciples were speaking sternly to those who brought them along. Like, no, no, Jesus is too busy. There's no space for these little kids to talk. And Jesus won't have any of it. He says, no, let the little children come to me. I want to hear their voice. I want to have them around or Luke 18 there's a blind man uh, beside the road as Jesus is on the way to Jericho and you could imagine many of us in that situation would think well I know what he needs he he obviously needs healing I'll go and heal him I love Jesus's question he went up to him and he asked him what do you want me to do for you He's not presuming to put words into the man's mouth. He wants to to hear what he has to say. He wants to hear what is on his heart. This is the same one who in the song is saying, let me hear your voice. What it was all about was giving people a voice. Charlie cleverly says, healing and flourishing will result in a person finding their voice. Jesus brought healing and flourishing wherever he went. It's actually a feature of any healthy relationship. Think about uh, a marriage. A healthy marriage is one in which both people are able to find their voice. Both people are able to speak. Both people are heard. Both people want to hear each other. Both people delight in hearing what the other has to say. A healthy workplace is one where all the people who work there are asked what they think, are given opportunity to contribute, to say how they're feeling, to bring what they have to say into that place. A healthy friendship is not just one way where one person does all the talking. It's one where each of you draws out what the other one has on their heart. Imagine the opposite. Imagine any kind of relationship where there's silencing happening. Imagine a relationship where the thoughts of one person are just dismissed. They're they're not really valued. They're not sought after. No space or opportunity is created for those thoughts to be offered. What kind of words would we use to describe a relationship like that? Toxic, maybe? It's a relationship that chips away at the dignity of the image of God in the person. As I was working on this this week, I just um, felt a little nudge from God. Perhaps... There might be some people in here who has them describing this. You recognise some of these dynamics and relationships in your own life. And if so, this should be a bit of a red flag. Um, Or perhaps you're feeling a bit convicted, maybe, that you've been treating some of the people in this way. And this should be a a kick up the backside from the Holy Spirit, maybe, to come at things a bit differently, because this isn't healthy. But this is the heart of Christ. Let me hear your voice. Also, while we're talking around this, I just want to um, note that the song here is calling specifically for the female voice. I think that's a really important thing as we talk about the song to acknowledge. Because I think theologically, this is one of the big things that the Song of Songs does. We're meant to see it. The Song of Songs starts with the voice of the bride. It ends with the voice of the bride. 60% of it is the voice of the bride. So here we have a book in... Two and a half, 3,000 years ago, Middle Eastern context, for uh, all that we know about that context, that's platforming and profiling the female voice. That's so culturally uncommon, and yet in the word of God, that's what we're seeing. In fact, it's part of the very fabric of the Old Testament. We see it in numerous places. We see it in books like Ruth and Esther. You've got this whole uh, narrative of history that keeps getting interspersed with, let let me have the female perspective. Let's bring what women have to say into the conversation in a culture where that just wasn't done at all. It's like uh, like the counter-melody to the biblical narrative. And also, just to say this, despite the fact that we call it the Song of Solomon, this book, I'm pretty sure, wasn't written by... Solomon is dedicated to him, perhaps, maybe written in his tradition. But uh, if you look at chapter 8, verse 12, it's actually dissing Solomon a bit. Um, The the groom has been... uh, so. Solomon had uh, 700 wives and 300 mistresses. And um, the groom in the song said, Well, my vineyard, my very own is for myself. You, O Solomon, may have the thousand. It's like taking a little dig. I've got the one. You can keep your thousand, Solomon. So it's not Solomon's work, this. It's someone else. And a lot of the scholars, and I think the reasons that they give are correct, so I'm, uh, I'd line up with them, I think this was probably written by a woman. Renita Weems uh, says the imagery, the language, the emotions expressed are ones that, would, that we would expect and associate with a woman. Scholarship suggests these are lyrics and songs that originated with women so in many spaces in society where the female voice is silenced and that's much of the world we live in and where women have to work twice as hard to be heard at all and yes this applies to churches as well isn't it beautiful that here in the word of God the female voice is being championed Amy Bird reflects on this idea let me hear your voice The bridegroom beckons the bride twice in the song. Does the church encourage all her people the way Christ encourages his bride? He says, for your voice is sweet. Yet many women in the church today, along with other marginalised people, hear the opposite message. They're silenced. They're hindered from contributing in the theological, creative, intellectual heart of church life. In the song, we see mutuality and beautiful reciprocity between the male and female voice. In fact, the bride's voice is dominant both opening and closing the song. What does this tell us about leadership? Leadership brings out the voice of others, it encourages, in the true sense of the word, giving courage and support. It gives power too, because leadership recognises personhood and dignity in men and women and sees them as gifts. So leadership invests in and facilitates harmony of the voices of God's people. Leadership says, let me hear your voice. Because that's what love says. I want us to ask this question. I want us to ask a question. How can we be a church where the voice of the bride of Christ is heard? The whole bride of Christ. Every person in our church. How can we be a church where everyone's able to speak? Maybe another question to ask is, Who are we not hearing? Who are the people in our community who don't get heard, who don't get the same opportunities to put their voices forward? Because Jesus wants the voice of his bride to be heard. It's his bride. He loves her. The whole of the bride he loves. So isn't this a sacred thing? Isn't it blasphemous to silence the voice of the bride of Jesus? we, We should see this as an important and sacred thing. So I had a little thing, I was trying to drill down practically what does it look like when people end up being silenced, maybe unintentionally, maybe there's, there's no kind of malice often, but what are the things that make it so someone isn't heard? And I, I came up with a whole list of things that it might look like, and maybe it's to do with who gets invited into what conversation, who gets to be part of what meeting, who gets to be on what team, or who gets to choose what the conversations are maybe it's just not taking the time to ask not taking the time to say to someone how are you doing how are you feeling what do you think sometimes people can find it difficult to get a word in you know you're in a room with uh, a few dominant personalities and so the conversation goes ping 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 between the few people who love to dominate uh, and to break into that conversation isn't easy perhaps we need to Just get better at pausing. I'd love to hear what you think about this. Sometimes it's interruptions. We all know what it's like, don't we, to be halfway through a sentence and then somebody else jumps in and finishes that sentence for us. And maybe they've guessed right what we were going to (laughs) say and maybe they haven't. But either way, what's it doing? It's saying, well, okay, we'll accept this because I'm saying it, not because you were going to say it. It's silencing. It's diminishing the voice of the person could be dismissive jokes or banter, now there's a place for that, but uh, it's a place where both people know what it is and are on board, but sometimes it can squash people down and make them more in their shell and less able to speak. Sometimes it's the way we frame a conversation, we say we're going to have a conversation about this thing, these are the exact parameters of what you may say, tell me what you think, and it's kind of squishing the voice into a predetermined shape. Or the flip side of that, reframing what the person has said. Someone's just brought something to us and we paraphrase it in in our own words because then it fits the narrative we've already got whilst not really hearing what they were trying to say. Sometimes it's when there's kind of an assumed consensus or a a narrative. It's like, well, we all think this, don't we? Don't we? And if you feel differently, it's like, well, I can't really say it. It's a bit awkward to say it when you all think that can feel like a solitary voice in a room sometimes now what I'm not saying don't miss anything I'm not saying that every time one of these things happens something egregious and evil is happening that's not the point I'm making what I'm talking about is patterns what I'm talking about is what becomes normal what becomes cultural because if these things become the normal ways conversation happens then that squashes down voices of the bride of Christ I think Lisa Turkhurst is great on this because she says there's three different spectrums that we need to look at as we think about these things. The frequency, like how, how often does this happen? Is it, is it just a one-off or is it happening all the time? The severity, was it happening in quite a small way or was it happening in a really big way? The effect, what, what did it actually do to the person? Did, did it silence them or did it not really make any difference to them? And we can think about it in those ways. How can we create a setting where every voice is heard? Leadership's an important part of this. Dr. Wayne Mullen speaks how leaders can either cast light or cast shadows by the way they lead. He says when ethical leaders cast light, then people don't feel as if they have to hold their stories and their experiences close to the chest. They don't have to keep secrets. They don't have to be afraid of expressing appropriate dissent. They don't worry about what's going to happen if they ask a question or voice disagreement. That sounds healthy, right? That sounds beautiful. But when leaders cast a shadow, the impact of that is everybody then keeps everything close to them because they learn that if they tell their story, if they speak out, if they use their voice and agency, it's going to result in further harm. So they live in these shadows, I was pondering, I was thinking about it. Why why would you want to cast shadows? Why would you want to do that? Why wouldn't you want the voices to be heard? Why why would anyone want to silence people? And, you know, you hear about situations where it's happened and different organisations and different things going on. And all I could conclude was the reason why you'd want to cast shadow is because there's something to hide, right? Because there's something not quite right there. When something's healthy and flourishing, there's nothing to hide. There's no secrets, no pressure, no fear. I love Ephesians 5. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Instead, expose them. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For everything that becomes visible is light. Hearing the voice is powerful because truth is powerful. It's life-giving. It's beautiful. And so the groom says, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet. So I want to loop round as we're coming towards the end to think about what it might mean to use our voice. How do we respond to this call from Jesus, let me hear your voice? There are lots of directions I could go from here. I could speak about evangelism. Let me hear your voice in proclaiming the goodness of Jesus to other people. This is like singing the song out loud. It's like publicly blaring out the lyrics of the lover of our soul, the one who's given himself for us. Perhaps it's how we use our voice in justice. Just as how Jesus spoke up for those who were downtrodden and silenced. So we can put our voices to use in a similar way. Perhaps it's confidence in stepping up and using the gifts that God has given you. One of the things that I'm involved with, one of the biggest thrills that I get in in my job is I get to bring through other people to preach. It's so exciting to see someone who was nervous, who was timid, who was unsure, getting up and declaring the word of God with confidence and boldness and power. By the way we're going to do another preaching course in April if you're interested. um, Have a word with me sometime, we can do that. But I think in context here, in the song, the thing it's mainly about isn't speaking about him, but speaking to him. He's saying, let me hear your voice. It's pointing us to worship and prayer, to using our voices to say to him all that's on our heart, to give him the expression of our love, to articulate our thanks and praise for who he is. The groom longs to hear the bride speak to him, not just about him. Jesus loves hearing your voice, so use it. So draw near to him, pour out your heart, tell him what's on your mind, share all your fears and your hopes and your dreams, express your love for him, just like the bride in the song does. Let me hear your voice, he says, for your voice. It's sweet.